The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. So look with me in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 15, and uh, we'll begin by looking at these opening verses starting in verse 1. Now, that's a key word for Paul in this book of Corinthians. Don't forget it. Now, I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, So we preached, and so you believed. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. I think, hang hang with me now, let's get started right. I think, I think that... um, Many of you know these phrases. They've kind of been popular at different times, but they all have kind of the same intention. Uh, I'm going to, phrases like this, I'm going to speak plainly to you. Bottom line, let me be clear. Now, you can't do this one as a preacher. I'm going to put my cards on the table, but I just did it. I'm going to put my cards on the table. I want to be as transparent as possible. All of those things are phrases that have been used by individuals throughout the years, letting you know what is about to come is an unvarnished statement that is going to be a little jagged or a little jagged on the edges. It's going to be a little bit challenging, but I'm doing it because I need to do it and we need to get to, here's another one, the bottom line. That's exactly what Paul does 
in the occasion afforded by, to him by a communication from the church at Corinth and by the reports that had arrived to him from the church at Corinth. Uh, the church at Corinth was a special church for Paul. As far as we know, it's the place that he spent the second longest amount of time. He spent three years at Ephesus, and he spent 18 months at Corinth. And it was a challenging ministry. Corinth had taken the philosophical um, insights of the Greeks in general, and a guy by the name of Plato in particular, and they had now downloaded it into Christianity and tried to syncretize it. And he is constantly trying to get them back to the Word of God alone as their only measure of what they believe and what they are to practice. He is constantly dealing with it. And now that he is gone, into the pulpit ministry of Corinth have come some extraordinary and dangerous theological errors that border upon outright heresy. A theological error is getting something wrong uh, from the Bible. But a heresy is not just a theological error. It is a, a heresy is an error with a doctrine that if you believe the error, it will damn your soul. We call those first order errors. A number of first order errors had crept into Corinth while Paul had left. And now he gets the report to him and he's about to answer it. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 15. I was thinking this last week that 1 Corinthians 15 reminds me of two childhood experiences I've had uh, that stick with me. Number one was in our family, uh, we always ate supper together. That was, that was a rule. We always had supper together. And when we had supper, nobody left the dinner table. We knew what was coming next. It was going to be a time of family conversation. And I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that just sitting there and listening to my dad and my mom. And, um, and usually during those times, I could ask questions. And when I would ask questions, there was a lot that I would learn from the questions that I asked as they answered me. Now, fast forward, there's also something else that happened in my childhood. Uh, it was in the elementary school when I was growing up. Now, some of you have never experienced this, and you're probably very grateful, is when I was growing up, the report card was put in a sealed envelope placed in your hands and you couldn't open it. You had to take it home and give it to your mother and father. And the report cards in those days did not simply put the grades. The teachers gave descriptive statements about you to your parents and your conduct in the classroom. So I would get home and dad, I can still remember the ritual. It was in the living room. I had the seat that my dad told me to sit in. He would open it up and he would read through it, the report. And then he would begin to deal with me. If you want to know how he would deal with me, I'm doing a series on family discipline on Sunday nights pretty soon. And I'll share with you some experiences that came from those moments. In other words, there were times I drew things from my parents by questions at the dinner table. And there were times that my behavior reported to my parents. I drew some more response from them and um, and communication from them and that's what the book of Corinth the book of Corinthians is 
This epistle is the Apostle Paul having left, writing back to them, and his opening chapters are just a marvelous statement of how do you identify with what you've got with other believers on common ground. Then he gets to the issues, and you can spot what he is doing by two phrases. He will say, now, concerning what you wrote. In other words, they had sent questions to him. They sent seven questions to him. And you can spot the questions by him replying back, now concerning, now concerning. But he also had another statement, and both of them show up this morning. The other statement was, now, it is reported to me. Now, it is reported to me something about what they were saying or doing that he is going to correct. And that's where we are now. 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul giving them a statement about the gospel that I just read to you in those opening verses. And the occasion of him writing that is, I have heard that some of you are saying that when believers die, that's it for their body. That there is no bodily resurrection of Christians. There will be no bodily resurrection of Christians. You see, what had happened is this old platonic world in life view that says the spiritual is good and the physical is bad had said, why in the world do we want to keep a doctrine of a bodily resurrection when all of our thinking and teaching all of our lives from all of our uh, from all of our schools here in Greece have told us the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. Why do we want that body back? Why would we possibly want it back? So they begin to syncretize the Greek philosophy of the, of the, um, which is, by the way, unbiblical, because when God made the spiritual and God made the physical, what did he say in Genesis? It's what? It's good. And then both are impacted by the curse of sin. And both are redeemed, the physical and the spiritual, by the work of Christ. And so we're born again spiritually and we'll be raised in perfection physically. But they had decided, no, no, we're not, now listen to this, we're not going to get a good hearing in the Greek culture if we keep talking about this resurrection of the body thing. So what began to massage their message at Corinth was not the truth of God's word. They, in fact, were glad to compromise that truth in order to be accepted by the culture. You're facing the same thing today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, but it's only good news if the Holy Spirit changes your heart. When you hear the bad news. Otherwise, the gospel is scandalous. The gospel is a scandal unless the Holy Spirit changes our hearts because the gospel says three things that the heart in rebellion against God doesn't simply doesn't want to hear. It abhors hearing it. Number one, that you're a sinner and you need a savior. 
That's a scandal. Number two is you and your religion cannot save you. You nor your man-made religion can save you. Number three, there is only one who can save you, and that's Jesus. Those three things are an absolute scandal. Unless the Holy Spirit, you say, well, Pastor, it wasn't a scandal to me. Then go thank Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Because if he hadn't, it would have been a scandal to you too. That's why we say with Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so now the Apostle Paul is hearing that this teaching that's been massaged by the culture and accommodated into the pulpit ministry and the teaching ministry at Corinth, this has to be dealt with. So how does he deal with this error that the bodies of believers will not be raised on the last day when Jesus comes? How is he going to deal with it? Well, what's really interesting is he doesn't deal with it He doesn't deal with it by immediately going to the bodily resurrection of believers. No, he does something else. He deals with it by saying, let me explain to you the gospel. And there he gives them the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was raised on the, don't miss this, he was raised on the what? Third day, according to the scriptures, that he did this according to the scriptures so that we who believe in him might have everlasting life. Unless your faith is not in him, then that faith is in vain. But if your faith is in him, then you have eternal life because of what he did on the cross and what the father did in the resurrection of the one who died on the cross for you. And he immediately goes to that glorious gospel truth. Well, what has that got to do with the error that was being taught that believers uh, don't get raised, their bodies don't get raised on the last day? What has that to do with that error? Well, it's got everything to do with it. The Apostle Paul is doing something that is wonderful to do in terms of sharing your faith and defending the faith. Let me just give you the phrase. Don't worry about it. It's called casuistic law. Here's how you spot it in your Bible. If, then. If, then. If, then. If this is true, then this must be true. If, then. That's what you're looking for. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent, and pray, then... I will hear from heaven. You see, there's this if-then relationship. If you draw near to me, then I draw near to you. Those statements are throughout Scripture. And the way he's going to get to the... Now watch this. The way he's going to get to the error, this terrible error, that believers' bodies are not raised on the last day, is he is going to affirm the resurrection of Christ on the third day. Now, why is he going to do that? Well, let's see why he'll do that. This is a glorious gospel message, and he has said, let me give you five things that he has said about the gospel. Just This is just very briefly now. Five things that he has said to you about the gospel. Number one, that the gospel is, the gospel is definitive. Notice he says, I delivered to you that which is of first importance, the gospel. That's called a definite article, the gospel. 
Not a gospel, indefinite article. The gospel. That means the the is telling you the gospel is definitive. There's something called the gospel. The second thing he's telling you about the gospel is that the gospel is biblical. Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures. This isn't something invented on the spot at the death of Jesus. This was prophesied in types and symbols and prophetic words and precepts all through the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilled it. It is biblical. The third thing he is telling you about the gospel, about this glorious gospel message is not only is it not only is it uh, definitive not only is it biblical but number 3 it's historical this happened in time and history this happened in time and history it is factual it is historical number 4 it is physical a bodily resurrection of Christ occurred at a point in time on the third day after his crucifixion. He was crucified on the day of preparation. He was body raised, uh, laid in the grave in the day of the Sabbath, the day of rest, and it came forth on the dawn of the first day. That there are the three days that are related to his death and to his resurrection. And number five, he tells you this definitive, biblical, historical, physical realities of the gospel are verifiable. James can tell you, I talked to him. Peter can tell you, I talked to him. Mary Magdalene can tell you, I talked to him. And then uh, the disciples can say, well, that night we talked to him, except Thomas. And then one week later, Thomas showed up and he talked to him and we all talked to him. We talked to him at the mount, at the mountain in Galilee when he gave us a great commission. We talked to him uh, on the on the uh, Sea of Galilee when he repeated the the, the, low, uh, the fishes uh, miracle. Uh, we talked to him uh, we talked to him on the Mount of Olives when he descended and repeated the Great Commission for us. We have talked to him time and time again. The women were the very first to re- realize that he was raised and he talked to them on that first day. And now Paul says, and let me tell you, then after he ascended, he last of all, he talked to me. And so the most unworthy of the apostles, untimely born, he talked to me. This Savior is risen. It's verifiable. Most of these people, in fact, Paul said, there's 500 of them up in Galilee. Go talk to them. They'll still be, some of them will still be living now. Go talk to them. It is treated as actual and verifiable. This powerful message of the gospel, of which one essential is, on the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures. On the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures. This morning, uh, just had a, I want to thank uh, Bruce for a wonderful uh, message this morning in our sunrise service, in which we did not see the sunrise. In fact, we were enveloped by fog. It, it, fog was everywhere. And my wife said, Would you pray, would you pray that the sun will burn out the fog? And I said, um, well, 
Honey, first of all, thank you for a wonderful illustration. Secondly, uh, every time I do something like that, the Lord reminds me, Harry, um, you are in sales, not management. Just uh, that's not your job. And um, but what Paul is doing is burning out the fog. Harry, what do you mean fog? Did Jesus? Does the Old Testament prophesy that Jesus is going to die and be raised on the third day? All right, everybody that was afraid, amen belongs there. Ready? Amen. Did Jesus repeatedly tell the disciples that he was going to be delivered up in Jerusalem and be put to death by the chief priests and the scribes and on the third day be raised? Did he repeatedly say that? Amen. Then why didn't anybody show up? Uh, Let me use Bruce's language this morning. They were informed. They just didn't believe it. I mean, who? Who showed up on the third day, which would have been the first day of the week? Who showed up and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to check that. Jesus said he was going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to go check the, I'm going to go check the tomb. No, in fact, they went there what? Wondering who's going to roll the stone away. They went there to do what? Anoint a dead body. They had been informed, but they did not believe it. You've been informed. Do you believe it? Well, we got nine. (laughs) I'm serious. I am not asking you, have you been informed? I know you have. I'm asking you to believe it. Do you believe it? If they believed it, something would have happened differently on that third day. Can I tell you who did believe it or who thought it might be a possibility? None of the disciples, none of the women. The only people that thought it might be a possibility and they took measures to protect against it were the Pharisees. They were the only ones. Now, they didn't believe it. But they said, well, we, we need to be careful because he said that and some of their disciples might try to pull a fast one to make it look like it. But they're the only ones that even recalled it and their behavior changed because of it. And now what Jesus is, what Paul is saying is Jesus was raised on the third day. Can I show you something else? Isn't it interesting? The Old Testament prophesied it. Jesus repeatedly told them, and none of them, it even made a dent. But afterwards, every time they talk about the gospel and the apostles, they not only repeat that Jesus is risen, they put third day. They don't just say, and he's risen. They say, no, no. On the third day, he rose again, just as he said. That's why it shows up in your Apostles' Creed. That's why we did that one this morning. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and what? Body went... to the tomb soul went to Hades paradise his human soul went there and his body went to the tomb and on the third day he rose again 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. What's next? Tied to that is this. Because he is risen, we rise. Now Paul's reversing it. If Jesus' resurrection assures our resurrection, then to deny our resurrection is to deny his resurrection. He gives you two statements. Let me give them to you. If there, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. If there is no bodily resurrection of Christ, if, hear that? There is no bodily resurrection, I'm sorry, if there is no bodily resurrection of Christians, then there was no bodily resurrection of Christ. Then he makes a statement, if there was no bodily resurrection of Christ, then there is no gospel to proclaim. Now do you understand why when he starts to answer the question, he defines a gospel. He said, let me tell you what's at stake here. The first of the first things, a first order issue, the gospel. If there's no bodily resurrection, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, there is no gospel for us to preach. What is it that if there is, if there is no bodily resurrection, what, what, hey, you know, I mean, don't you hear this? Don't people say to you from time to time, look, don't get caught up in this bodily resurrection thing. You look foolish to the world. You look foolish. By the way, isn't it the spirit of the thing? Isn't it? No, it's not the spirit of the thing. It was his body that was raised. And there is no gospel if there is no bodily resurrection of Christ. And if there is no bodily resurrection of believers on the last day, then there was no bodily resurrection of Christ on the third day. They're inseparable. He said, what's at stake here is the gospel. That's what's at stake. And so then... When he tells them that's what's at stake, he says, listen, if you lose the bodily resurrection, you've lost the bodily resurrection of Christ. Well, what do we lose if we lose the bodily resurrection of Christ? Okay, now you know, now here's why I started. Oh, if you lose the bodily resurrection of Christ on the third day, what's, what do you lose? Well, let me give you the bottom line. Let me put my cards on the table. Let me put, let me speak plainly. You lose everything. That's what he goes on to describe. Look at those next verses. You got your Bibles? Look with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Pick up at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, and did you hear what he just said? Christ, God didn't raise Christ if, if, if the dead in Christ are not raised at the last day. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those, then, um, then those also who have fallen asleep in Jesus, that is those believers that have died, they've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ, I mean, but then he said, now watch, I love this. Look at the next verse. But in fact, Biblical, historical, verifiable. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Who is his resurrected Christ? He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. That's the euphemism for the death of a Christian. They go through the shadow of death. Thus, he uses this euphemism. Do you see what he's saying? He's, let me give you the fact. Bottom line, plain speaking, let me get to it. Let me tell you what you lose. You lose the gospel. You lose everything. He actually lays out seven things. I don't know that we got them up there or not, but I'll give them to you. Yeah, here they are. If Christ is not raised, here they are. Your gospel preaching is an act of blasphemy. That's what he says. You're misrepresenting God. The second thing he says is yet gospel preaching is an act of vanity. It's vain. It's empty. Gospel preaching is empty. I mean, you're just you're just putting words in the air. Number three, he says that faith in Christ in, in Christ as your Lord and Savior is futile. It's an interesting word, futile. It means without term, without a point, without a purpose. In other words, if Christ hasn't been raised, then there's no reason to believe in Christ. You've lost your object of your faith, the resurrected Christ. And therefore, it is futile. It's nothing. And the fourth thing he says is that the apostles were all liars. He said, if Christ isn't raised, then we, the apostles, we're just bald-faced, shame-faced liars. That's what we are. He said, fifthly, he said, the fifth thing he says is, we're still in our sin. We're still under condemnation. Well, wait, wait. It's not the resurrection that saves us from our sins. It's Christ's crucifixion. You're right. But if there's no resurrection then there's no verification of the effectiveness of the atonement. I mean, a lot of crazy people can say they're dying for your sins. If this is the Lord and not a lunatic, then it's the resurrection that tells us, because he lives, I live. He took the wages of my sin at the cross. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then seventhly, seven, uh, sixthly, then the Christians who have already died 
are lost. They've perished for eternity. Forget this absent from the body present with the Lord. There's no Lord to be present with if he's not raised. Number seven, Christians are of all of humanity the most to be pitied if he is not risen. If he has not been raised on the third day. But in fact, Christ is risen. Now watch this. The first fruits. Now what's important about the first fruits? Two things. The first fruits are always the best. They are the best. Praise God, I'm going to be raised. But my resurrection doesn't compare with the resurrection of Christ. The Lord of glory is risen. And he lives. What else is great about first fruits? The second thing that's great about first fruits is they assure the harvest is coming. Who is the harvest? You. The resurrection of all of his people on the last day. Jesus is the first one in history who was raised from the dead. I know you're sitting there. Wait, 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 Harry. I know you got lad. I know you're, I know you're, you're looking at the widow's son. I know that. You didn't let me finish. He is the first one to be raised with the glorified body, never to die again. But he's not the last one. He is the first one. But he is not the last one. Because he lives, so shall we live in a new heavens and a new earth with a new body for his glory likened unto him. And that's what Paul is giving to them. So let me give you your takeaway this morning. The resurrection of Christ on the third day is inseparable and assures the resurrection of every Christian on the last day. The resurrection of Christ on the third day assures the resurrection of every Christian on the last day. You know, I just love the way Paul has done this. All right, let me tell you, if there's no bodily resurrection, here's what you lose. There's no resurrection of Christ on the third day. And if there's no resurrection of Christ on the third day, let me tell you what you lose. Gospel, gospel preaching, those who have believed, you lose everything. And he just names it now. Well, flip it. (laughs) Flip it. Christ is risen on the third day. What do you gain? The assurance that every believer will be raised on the last day with a glorified body like unto him. 
What else do you gain? You gain the, you gain the veracity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get a chance every Lord's Day and every day of my life to tell people, here's the problem, sin. Here's the solution, Jesus. And because Jesus lived a perfect life and died for your sins, that, and that Jesus was risen from the dead, you can have eternal life. I've got good news for you. I get to do that, and I wouldn't be able to do that if he hadn't been raised on the third day. But I can surely do that because the resurrection on the third day said his death on Good Friday was a redeeming death. It wasn't a martyr's death. It wasn't just a model death to copy. It was an atoning death whereby we are saved from our sins, and Christ in the crucifixion provides the redemption for our sins and in the resurrection the father says amen so be it forever that's what we gain now and for all eternity but oh there's so many other things funerals in this sanctuary while being honest with grief Turn into occasions for joy. Sure, there's grief. Man, we don't have access to the people we love. And I've been doing a bunch of these recently. I'm telling now all founding members of Briarwood, enough. Stick around for a while. I know what happened. Frank went to be with Jesus. And he got there, and you know what he said to Jesus? I think I'd like to plant another church. <laughs> and by the way, Jesus, I got some people that helped me with the other ones. Why don't you call them on up? And that'll be my core group. I really believe that may have happened. I don't think, I don't think Frank could have planted the church without Barbara, so he got her there within two weeks. It's just amazing. But listen, brothers and sisters, funeral services... We can be honest with grief. Tears are real. But our grief is informed. Our Savior saves us. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And the reason you can be present with the Lord is He lives. And so in this sanctuary, those moments turn in to worship services of praise to God. There's all kinds of things we gain. We gain continually the glorious truth that we, like our Savior, who died an atoning death, and his body went to a grave, and so will mine. And his soul, just as he told the thief, and just as the Psalms prophesied, his soul went to Hades' paradise, not Hades' abyss, the intermediate state of torment, Hades' paradise, the intermediate state of blessing. And on the third day, on time, nobody's late, the Holy Spirit summons the soul of Jesus from Sheol to be united with the body of Jesus in the tomb. And the stone is blown away. And the risen Savior, body and soul, glorified for all eternity, comes forth 
And the summons now becomes a proclamation. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that glorious truth begins to dissipate the fog. There had to be a fog. Why weren't the disciples and the women there to meet him, not anoint him? Because the fog. And I hope today, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit has allowed the inadequate preaching of this preacher to dispel the fog that has kept you from coming to Christ who died for you and is risen to save all of his people. And that's a fact. That's a fact. It had already been gloriously pictured in the Old Testament. You can just flee. I mean, you just go to the, well, flee. Make it important. Get to the book of Pentateuch. Go to Exodus chapter 28. They have been delivered out of bondage. And God is going to be with them in a tabernacle and in a temple. But there's going to have to be a mediator. And one of the mediators has got to be a priest. And that priest is going to be someone named Aaron. And all that he is supposed to do is outline for you in that glorious book of Exodus what the priest was to do in intercession for this people to that they may be redeemed from their sins and be right with God. And the the ceremonial offerings and the sacrifices were described. And then came the glorious moment where there was this one place that was sacred, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And no man can be in his presence and behold him and live, is what the Bible says. But yet the priest was to go in and bring the Lamb's blood to pour Upon the altar in that darkened room. And so he was to represent the sins of the people. So he was fixed with what God called the breastplate of judgment for the sins of the people. When he walked in, he was walking in bearing Symbolically, the sins of the people. And then the substitutionary sacrifice. But would he live? Part of his attire was not only the breastplate of judgment, but also the one-piece robe that fit over his head and went down to his feet with pomegranates, that were fashioned at the bottom. These linen pomegranates that were fashioned. And from them, golden bells. So that when he left you, you could hear him and know that he's still living. You can imagine that day, can't you? As he, as Aaron would take the blood of the sacrifice disappear behind the door into the holy of holies and the darkness that they could not see but they could hear the bells 
our sacrifice bearer is living. But then he would stop to make the sacrifice. And the bells would no longer ring. And he would pour it out with a prayer of confession. Would they ring again? Would the sacrifice be accepted? Would the priest live who brought the sacrifice? And when they heard the bells, they would then look and Aaron would come out with his hands raised and the ironic blessing. Peace be unto you. The grace of the Lord be upon you. The peace of God be upon you. That was the picture. Never saved. It only pointed to what needed to be done. We need another priest who can come before him, who has no sin. And the blood of bulls and goats and lambs can't redeem us. We need the Lamb of God. And on the day of preparation, the Lamb of God was slain for us. And then he brought the sacrifice. He was not only the Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. He was also the sacrifice. And he brought the sacrifice. Tetelestai, it's finished. Into thy presence I commend my spirit. Will we hear the bells? Will he live? And on the third day, he came forward. And what is the first words he said to his disciples? Peace. Be to you. He is risen. The Lord has proclaimed. The sacrifice has been accepted. And because he is risen. So shall we. Is he yours? Has the fog gone? Is Christ yours? The Father has proclaimed the Amen. And there is only one to save us. But that one, in fact, is the risen Savior. Then come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments to be together in your word. Thank you for the glorious privilege to Declare the majesty and glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Father, we thank you that because he lives, we live. And we thank you that we can rejoice in the majesty of our Savior. If today you've never come to him and would like to pray with someone, then there are folks that are up here at the front afterwards that you can pray with. On the third day, he was risen. 
On the third day, he arose. And if you're in Christ, today can be the beginning of a new life. And on the last day, we arise. Now arise and come to him. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.